Well, good morning. Welcome to our Savior's Church. I'm glad you're here today. I want to jump straight into this message. I'm excited about the message today and, and what God's going to do. I'm believing for certain things that are going to happen today, and, and uh, I'm excited. Are you excited? Did you come to church expecting something this morning? Come on. We've given God praise. We've given Him worship. We've given Him honor. We've, we've worshiped at His feet this morning, and now He wants to give something back to us. Amen. You ready to receive it? Can you push everything aside and be ready to receive it? Can you let go of the concerns of this week and the concerns of next week and get ready to receive it? Can you just simply say, Lord, I open my heart and I want to receive today. Can you say that with me? Lord, I open my heart and I want to receive today. Today we're starting our series entitled Fresh Air. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about fresh air how many of you enjoy fresh air? I like to breathe. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I want to show you a verse in the Bible about a guy with a very difficult name. Um, it's kind of an obscure verse, but you, you might have read it in passing, but never really stopped on it. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Paul speaking, he says, May the Lord bless Onesiphorus. Say that, say Onesiphorus. And I just praying that I got that right. And all his family, because he visited me and encouraged me often. His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. So Paul's in prison, going through a lot of hard times, a lot of things going on. He's in chains. He, he's got this burning desire to, to build God's kingdom, to, to plant churches, to reach the lost, to make disciples. But he's stuck in this cave. He's stuck in his jail cell. And, and this servant of the Lord comes to him, one, one, one Siphorus, I might stutter a few times when I say that, but one Siphorus comes to him and encourages him and talks with him. And Paul takes the time and God thinks it's so important that he puts it in the Bible that one, one, one Siphorus came to Paul and encouraged him and it was like a fresh breath. How many of you have ever been in a place where you're gasping for air in life and God sent somebody with just a little bit of encouragement? Maybe with a smile on their face, holding a package from God that just says, you know what? It's going to be all right. How many of you have ever received that? And you just went like. <sighs> How many of you ever just lost your breath? When's the last time you had the wind knocked out of you? I saw somebody the other day got the wind knocked out. I'm like, thank God that doesn't happen to me anymore. I hated that. So, <laughs> anyway, sound like a dolphin. But the other day I was I was cutting this lady's property and she was going to pay me a little bit extra money to clean up her backyard. And so I was trying to rush and do it that afternoon late. And so and she lives all the way in Youngsville. So I, mean, I jumped in my truck and I took off. And I drove down there, and it's way on the other end of Youngsville. So I get there, man. I back my trailer in. I'm running into the backyard. I, I cut everything, and then I'm starting to load this trash. And she's got a couple bags of cement, some sackcrete that's already hard. Sackcrete's heavy when it's dust, but it's real heavy when it's hard. You follow me? So, man, I'm, I'm working my tail off, and I didn't notice, but my adrenaline was pumping. I was in a hurry. I just get like that sometimes. And I'm in this backyard of this double-wide mobile home park, and she's got this big old wood fence. There's no wind blowing. The humidity's thick. And I'm back there, and I'm throwing this stuff in the garbage can. I'm like, <sighs> and I looked around to see if anybody was watching. I was like, <sighs> and I caught a knee, and I was like, 
And I had those thoughts, man, am I having a heart attack? <gasps> no, I'm having a humidity attack. <gasps> and I couldn't breathe. And I was mad at myself because I couldn't breathe. But the air was so thick. And I was stuck in this backyard with no breeze. And honestly, I got scared. I was just like, because I really thought I was having a heart attack. I was like, dang, concrete's going to kill me. And then after a little while, I caught my breath. And I went to the front yard where the wind was blowing. And I breathed for a little while. I almost felt like riding home with my head out the window like a dog. <laughs> just to get a little extra oxygen pumped in the system. I was running low. And, you know, sometimes we just find it difficult to breathe. Sometimes we get stuck in places and we feel like the air is stale. Right? That's the problem with that backyard is that the air was stale. The air was stale. There was nothing moving. There was nothing stirring. I've got a five acre pond and it's in process. It's called a swamp right now, but I've been working on it. So every time I want to do something on my property, I research. I just enjoy the research process and I want to raise some fish. And and so I've learned that fish do well with lots of oxygen. In other words, the water has to be stirred up. Whether you run like a motorboat through it or you run an outboard engine or something, something to stir the water. Some people put lines under the water and let oxygen just bubble up. But when you do that, fish have the best chance to grow and be the healthiest. Right? As believers, if we, if we keep ourselves in a healthy environment where we get fresh air, we're giving ourselves the best chance to grow. Amen? The best chance to flourish. The best chance to do the best we can. Amen? But let me tell you something. We all get stuck. There's not a single person in this room that can seriously and honestly say that I've never been stuck in a place that seems stale. I don't believe there's a person in this room. If if you are here and you're in this room, you need to go to another church because we're not good enough to have you here. Because we all get stuck, right? We get stuck in our marriages. Right? Marriages get stuck all the time. Seems like one of the easiest things in the world to get stuck. I can get my marriage stuck before I can get my lawnmower stuck. Right? It's just the truth. And I, most of it's because I just take her for granted. She's my wife. She can't leave. Come on, we think that way. I'm just saying what I've heard you say. <laughs> but we get stuck from time to time. There's this place called the doldrums. Say that when we say doldrums. Sometimes people get stuck in the doldrums. I'm going to use this big 50 cent word here. There's a zone that is called the inner tropical conversion zone. Okay, you're going to learn something today. The inner tropical conversion zone. This is actually a, a, a weather type term. It's, it's an atmospheric term or whatever. SCS, who passed my limit of big words. But basically what it is is the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere meet usually at a, at a coastline or at the equator. And the winds blow in the northern hemisphere. The winds blow a certain direction. And in the southern hemisphere, they blow a different direct direction. But when they come together, they cancel each other out. The winds cancel each other out. And they call that the intertropical conversion zone. And there's no wind. And how they know this is that when merchants years ago were trying to sail in to, to carry goods across the ocean, they would get into the inter, intertropical conversion zone 
and they would stop because they were sailboats. Spit that all over the front row. <laughs> You're anointed, son. Good to go preach the gospel. <laughs> but they would get stuck and there was no way out. And the Lord told me this morning that there's some of you here today that are stuck in the intertropical conversion zone. And all my hope is today is that I can just be this big ball headed breath of fresh air. That just blows you out. So you go home today, you say, what did the pastor preach? I don't know, but he blew us out. (laughs) But if nothing stirs, we get stuck, right? There's no wind. There's nothing that seems like there's no hope. Life's ever become hopeless for you? Is it hopeless today? I want to give you four stages of being in the doldrums. Stage number one, you start faking it. These are clues to help you know that you're in the doldrum. You start faking it. You start acting like everything's fine. You know how it goes. Man's usually in a hurry to get to church, be on time. The woman's usually running late because she's trying to fix her face. Right? And, And look tight and right and all those. And I appreciate that. Especially with my wife. Not yours, mine. But... And so there's tension that creates and there's tension that comes and the kids are acting crazy and, and you think they brush their teeth in their hair and they're outside shooting basketball and you're like, we got to leave! Did you brush your teeth? No, I didn't brush my teeth. Or you get halfway to church, I forgot to brush my teeth. Ah! So the whole way to church is, ah, 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 this dog fight in the car, right? And then what happens as soon as you hit the parking lot? You go from, ah, ah, And the kids are sitting in the backseat going, it's a miracle. (laughs) Church is the most incredible place in the world. It's the only place mom and daddy stop fighting. Maybe that's why your kids want to go back to church. But we start to fake it, right? Come on, we're all guilty of that this morning. Shake your head a little bit. Let me know you're paying attention. Let me know you're with me. I'm not the only one trying to fake it. We can't let anybody know. That we're hurting. We can't let anybody know that we're suffering. Right? Why? Because we were taught to be tough. Especially here in the South. You men, let me tell you something. It's hard. We're good at faking it. I'm strong. Marriage is breaking down. I'm strong. Everything's fine. How you doing, married guy? Good. Good. I'm doing good. How's your wife doing? Oh, she's all right. Finances are a wreck. Work's going crummy. Kids aren't acting right. It's fine. It's fine, Pastor. Let me tell you something. When I call you and I say, how's it doing? I don't want a fake answer. You with me? Pastor Bubba called me the other day and I just found out my plumbing was busted underneath my slab. He's like, man of God, what's up? I'm like, it ain't good. What's wrong? My plumb is busted under my side. Well, I can't fix it, but I'll pray for you. He heard me. You, you follow me? He heard. I didn't try to fake it. There ain't no reason to fake it. I faked it for too long. Amen? Faking it don't fix it. You ought to write that down. Faking it don't fix it. 
When you're stuck or even when you're wounded, you just put on a skin-colored bandage so nobody else can see it. Right? We just hide. Everything's fine. I hadn't been a pastor long, but I've learned signs that when people are hurting, when people are struggling, when they're stale, I'm learning signs. Learn how to read the signs. I'm doing what my father-in-law taught me to do. I'm just paying attention. Stage number, actually, Jeremiah 6.14 says this. They dress the wounds of my people as though it was not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. How many times we say, oh, yeah, everything's good when nothing's good. Come on. Man, we'll fake it, man, and we're good at it. Show up at church, holding hands. What's up, Pastor? Oh, man, y'all look good as well. We're good, Pastor. And she's squeezing your hand with a death grip. We ain't good. You better man up and say something. Right? Stage number two is you put it off. First, you try to fake it. Then you put it off. You say, you know what? It's really not that bad. It's really not a big deal. We'll, we'll, we'll get through this. We'll put it off. Time will heal it. How many of you use that word? Time will heal all wounds. That is not scriptural. That's devilish. Time don't heal nothing. That's my best Franklin accent. Time don't heal nothing. Only Jesus heals. Amen. The only way to fix a bobo on your arm is you got to expose it and you got to treat it, right? But if you're faking it and you're hiding it, it doesn't get treated. And then what happened? Infection comes, right? What happens if you don't deal with the infection? You can eventually lose your arm. I know a little boy in, in Homa, Louisiana. His, his uncle had, had a staph infection. And the little boy, I mean, he was a baby, and they went to this family reunion and, and the uncle didn't tell anybody that he had this staph infection. He's playing with the baby and the baby got the staph infection and the parents didn't know what it was and they didn't take care of it fast enough. And the poor little buddy lost both of his arms at the elbow simply because somebody hid that they had an infection. Somebody hid that they had something wrong. They didn't want nobody to know that they wasn't perfect. And the result of it was is that they didn't get hurt. His, his staph infection got healed. It's the little boy. It's the person around them that lost both of his arms. You put it off. Listen, I'm a man, 100% man. I can procrastinate better than anybody in this room. You hear me? This is like black mold in your house. My wife's like a black mold hound dog. We had a water leak in the bathroom and she'd walk in and she'd go, I smell mold. And I can't smell worth a flip. I mean, seriously, I, I, it's because I work construction my whole life, full of concrete dust and everything. I messed my nose up. I go in there and I don't smell nothing. Even though I did smell something. It was very small. No, it ain't nothing. It's moisture. It's moisture in the form of mold. But I don't want to deal with it. You see, I don't want to bust a wall open. 
I don't want to cause a little dirt. I don't want to cause a little debris. I don't want to cause any kind of inconvenience. So I'm just going to put it off. Right? That stupid water leak in Ethan's bedroom underneath the concrete, I put it off for a year. No, no, it's not that. It's just not that. No, the shower's not leaking. Well, how in the heck is the carpet wet? Well, I don't know. Maybe the dog peed or something. I don't know. I put it off till there was no more denying it. And then it cost me $3,000 to fix this stupid water leak that I should have took care of a long time ago. Not that it had been any cheaper, but it had been a whole lot more peaceful. Amen. And my wife is very gracious. We put it off. I'll deal with it later. Right? Listen to me. You know your marriage is struggling. Stop faking it. And stop putting it off. You know you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus. Stop denying it. Stop faking it. And stop putting it off. And get serious with Jesus. Amen? The only way to grow is to expose what you got and deal with it. To get out of the stale air and to get into the fresh air of life. You got to get into the place where Jesus can breathe fresh air into you. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know what's crazy is when people are wounded or people are stale or they're hurting or they know that their condition and they're faking it and they're not and they're putting it off. You know what happens to those people? They become hypersensitive. Right? It's like they got this bobo on their elbow. And anytime you get close to them, they kind of look like this. It's going to be a little silly. Like, hey. oh, man, man, how, how you doing? What's up, man of God? How you doing? How, how's your wife? Hey. You remember how your kids acted, right? When they had that little scratch, when the kitty cat scratched them and they thought it was the biggest thing in the world. And every time their brother or sister would come around to try and touch it, they, can I tell you something? As adults, we do the same dead goal thing. When we don't deal with our stuff, we walk around with these skin colored bandages. So nobody sees, hopefully nobody notices. And anytime somebody gets close, a servant of God, God sends somebody. To breathe fresh air into your lungs, you go, ah, ah, ah. Right? We push things with ah. You don't call. You don't answer my calls. I send a text, you don't respond. And the whole time, I'm just trying to get you a little bit of oxygen. I just want to get you some oxygen. But you're like, nah, I don't want to deal with this right now. It's really not that bad. That's a lie. Let me read the previous verse to you again. From Jeremiah, it says, they dress the wounds of my people as though it was not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Some of us are patch experts. Some of us are Sanford and sons in the spirit. We're very good at patching things just to get along. 
aren't we? Well, a little bit of fix here. Well, I'll be nice to her for a day, then she'll get over it. I'll, I'll do this, or, or I'll smile. I'll cook his favorite meal so he'll be happy with me again because I spent all this money. A patch. We just want to patch it, right? We just want to patch it. A quick fix. Plug my tire. Don't patch it. I ain't got time for a patch. Plug it. Doing 70 miles an hour down the highway and your tire blows out because you put a plug and not a patch. Because you're trying to skip over it. You're trying to do something, right? Without exposing the whole thing. Patch experts. I'm going to patch it. It's going to get better. We, we fool ourselves, right? It'll get better. It's going to be all right. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Maybe the reason we think it's not so serious is because we've lost hope and vision of how good it really can be. Are you with me? My regret right now is that I didn't take the first 10 years of my marriage and pour into my wife. I took the first 10 years of our marriage. I dealt with myself and it was all about me. And I fussed at her for her actions. I fussed at her for the way she was. I got aggravated with her because of how she was. I never once tried to wash her with my words. I never once tried to breathe new life into her. You with me? I dealt with the external and not with the internal. But over the last couple of years, God showed me, came out of a fight one night, midnight. You know my stories. When I fight, I'm in my drawers and I'm in the living room. Visual. You just need to remember that. It's boxers. It ain't the tidy whities You'll never forget that point. But I'm sitting there going, Lord, it, it's her time. It's her time. Straighten her out. It's her time. You've been beating up on me for 15 years, Lord. It's her time. And he said, son, when are you going to start husbanding your wife? I'm like, shoot, I'll whoop that woman in the shape right now. You just let me go. Turn your head, Lord. I'll get her straight. He said, no, 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 no. When are you going to start washing her with your words? When are you going to start breathing life into her? When are you going to change her by how you see her and how you speak about her? All you ladies should have said, amen. Yeah, goodness, that was free. <laughs> Hebrews twelve fifteen says, the seed to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Roots are hard to dig out. Weeds are easy. If you'll just get past your laziness and your complacency and your inability to want to fix your life, if you'll just get past that and when you see a weed spring up in your marriage, you just go ahead on and pluck it. You know, the reason I don't have a, a landscaping around my house is because I don't like to pull weeds. My wife doesn't either. She did her first garden this year because I did it in boxes. It was something that you could control nice and easy. But there's a day coming where I got to put some landscaping around this ugly brick house and I got to go and I have to go pull some weeds. But here's the deal. I can wait a year to pull the weeds and work my tail off for two or three days and then have to remulch the whole thing and put some new side because I pulled it all out. Or I can go out there weekly and just pull the weeds. When I see them pop up, boom, here we go. You out. Get out of here, sucker. Go right now. You gone. 
When I see things in my marriage or I see things in my life, I deal with them right now. Right? I don't procrastinate. I don't put it off. I deal with it right now. I don't take the excuse that comes. Oh, are you too busy? Two minutes to pull a weed? You're too busy? You mean to tell me you're too busy to save your marriage? If you're too busy to save your marriage, if you're too busy to, to increase your relationship with Jesus, then you got your priorities wrong. And you're heading in the wrong direction. Please listen to me. I've gone the wrong direction too long. I know what it's like over there. I want to be too busy to watch football because I'm chasing after Jesus. I want to be too busy to go do my hobbies because I'm chasing after Jesus. Amen? Stage three is we give up, right? We fake it. When that don't work, we put it off. When that don't work, what do we do? We give up. There's no hope. (laughs) Wash my hands. I'm done with this. There's one word Cheryl and I refuse to use in our house, and it's the D word. It's divorce. It's not an option. It's not even in our conversation. Back in the early days, ha, you can go back to your mama's house. You could go back to Fenton. She said, she looked at me, well, you can go back to Franklin. I'm like, well, you got a point. You can go back to what you was doing before. You can find you another man. Right? We don't do that. That's not an option. We don't miss church and we don't use the D word. It's not up for auction. I'm committed, but let me tell you something. Even though I'm committed and I promise I will never leave her, I will never divorce her. It doesn't mean that I can't give up in the marriage because there's a lot of people that stay and they die. Amen. They stay. Well, I ain't going to leave. But I'm going to hang out. And I just hope I don't do nothing stupid. In the meantime. Can I tell you, I've been tempted to do that. Cheryl's been tempted to do that. When we faked it for so long. And then we put it off for so long. And now we just give up and we go... I remember having those thoughts about Cheryl and I where I guess I'll just always be doing this. Oh, well. Just better learn how to like it. Learn how to live with it. Right? Have you ever been there before? That's a scary place. There's no air. Some of us have been in a place where we go, you know what? Things ain't changing. I'll just keep going to church and acting like I love Jesus. And I'll do the church thing. So that way my kids are raised right. <laughs> Can I tell you, kids read between the lines. <laughs> Can I tell you, they're specialists at paying attention. Can I tell you, they hear with both ears. 
They can play Xbox and listen to your fight at the same time, word for word, and recite it when you think everything's fine. We give up. We lose hope. There's no way out. Can I tell you something? You're not the only person that's ever said that. Job said that. Listen to what Job said. And you know Job's story. God allowed everything to be taken away from him. And he got to a point of desperation and he said this in Job 17. He said, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Where's my hope? How does this get better? How do I get out of this? How do I get some fresh air? How do I, how do I catch my breath? How do I catch it? We lose hope. We give up. Stage four is you die. Sometimes that's a physical death. Sometimes people take their life. And can I tell you that never makes anything better. It's a cheap cop out. Are you with me? But sometimes people die mentally. They just check out. You ever checked out in your marriage? You ever checked out in your relationship with Jesus? You ever just check out and you go, oh, well, whatever. Check out mentally. They die mentally. They die morally. They die emotionally. They die spiritually. To encourage you, some of the greatest men and women in the Bible were at this very same point in their life. And my hope is today that you learn that you can get out of this. You can get out of the doldrums. You can find the air. You can find the wind. You can get the ship moving again. And life can be good. Amen. Your relationship with Jesus can be healthy. Your marriage can be restored and resurrected. Amen. You didn't say that strong enough. Your marriage can be restored and resurrected. All you got to do is start believing it. Don't give up. Let God speak fresh breath into you, fresh air into you. Fill your lungs up with something good. Second Corinthians 1, 8 to 9 says that we were under great pressure. This is Paul speaking. Far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Can I tell you, Jesus felt the sentence of death. Therefore, he can relate to you with whatever's dying in your life. We just need a blast of fresh air. Amen. Listen to me. You show up for the next four weeks. I promise you, you're going to get a fresh breath of something. Amen. Amen. So we've decided to call this message the choice, and I'm going to start the message now. No, I'm serious. I know I, I can look at you. Some of you are like this. Some of you are like this. Sitting with your spouse, you're like. Some of you are beat up right now. We're going to make it better. You ready for some air? You cannot change things externally. You can only change things internally. 
religion and legalism tries to change you externally. Ever walk into a church and they say you got to dress a certain way? Ever go to a church where they say you can't wear makeup and they should have been wearing makeup? <laughs> right? Where they need to get a real hairdo and not a honey bun? God's not going to deal with the external until he deals with the internal. You got saved because of the internal, not because of the external. Jesus died on the cross for your heart, not for your looks. Come on. As parents, if we're going to raise godly children that are going to go and take off where we leave off, we got to learn how to get to their heart. Are you hearing me? You can't just deal with the outside. Right? You got to get to their heart. You can't just modify their behavior. That's a new word. Jennifer taught me that. You can't just modify their behavior. You got to get to their heart. How did God grow you to where you are now? Through your heart. I've been in a place where people tried to tell me the do's and don'ts of Christianity. And can I tell you something? It just made me mean and frustrated. I can't do this and I can't do that. Holy. I spent most of my Christian life like that. The day I got saved, this old lady comes up. They got me in front of the church. You know, you can't look at those dirty magazines no more. First I went, how'd you know? And then I went, what you mean? But my whole life was like that. You can't do this. You can't do that. I got discipled by God. It was, we were studying, you can't do this and you can't do that. And you can't have anger and you can't be this. When I met my pastor, Pastor Bubba, the biggest man in my life. He instantly started telling me what I can do. He looked at a giant of a man and he said, you can do this and you can do that. And it changed my life. And one day I pulled him to the side and said, let me tell you something. My whole life, people told me what I couldn't do. But you're the first man that's man enough to tell me what I can do. He got to my heart. Did he have to deal with my external? Heck yeah. Pastor Baba's kicked my butt more than any other man on this planet. And I thank God for that. He breathes fresh air into me. He constantly calls me and encourages me and prays for me. Man of God, what you doing? How's your beautiful wife doing? Don't lie to me. Do I need to call her? I don't know, Pastor, you don't need to call her. Uh-uh, she good, I promise you. Please, Lord, please. He's got AT&T, so calls drop all the time. I'm joking. Thank God he doesn't have Verizon. Stupid. What do we do with our kids? We threaten them, right? We beat them. We punish them. We take things from them. All to try and change their heart. Right? But what happens if that's all they know is this modified behavior? This, I got to be this way. I got to do this. I got to act this way. I can't have no attitude. I can't voice my opinion. I can't share my heart. I just got to do what they say all the time. What happens when they get out of your house? They bust the gates of hell wide open. 
Their middle name becomes P-A-R-T-Y. How do I know? That was me. My mama had such a tight rope on me, I couldn't even look at a girl in high school. She would know. She even went to the school and scared all the girls. I'm like, dang, you ain't give a brother a chance. I mean, I look at these guys, hey, and I was looking good in those days. Nice and slim, that little six pack. I was like, hey, and they're like, I was like, I got cologne, I got the latest fashion, my hair's did right, I got abs. When I left my mama's house, let me tell you something, I went buck stinking wild. Everything she told me I couldn't do, I tried. She didn't have my heart. She dealt with my external. She never got into the internal. Are you hearing me? I'm going somewhere with this. We're going to get some fresh air. Amen. So we've got choices to make. Do you hear me? We got choices to make. The title of this message is the choice. In the very first story in the Bible, there was a choice that had to be made. God had Adam and Eve in the garden and he said, you can eat of everything around here, but this one tree, do not eat of this tree because when you do, you're going to die. Right? You remember the story? So what happens? This loudmouth serpent comes and he goes to the wife. And by the way, God told Adam, he didn't tell Eve. He said, he told Adam, you do not eat from this. I'm going somewhere with this. And he's, so here comes this loudmouth snake. And let me tell you something. There's always going to be a loudmouth around to help you make the wrong choice. Right? Loudmouth snake coming out. Oh, surely God's not going. You're not going to die. Oh, that's ludicrous. And so they eat of the apple. And then what happens? God comes into the garden. Who's he called for? Adam. Adam. Where you at, my boy? Can I tell you something as a man, as a husband and a father? I've been frustrated because God always deals with me. Men, you ever get tired of that? You ever say, dang, Lord, when are you going to knock that woman across the head? I mean, she's Ted Dura, Lord. Knock her in the head. Who's he called? Me. Why? Because I'm the head of the household. I'm the prophet, the priest, and the king. I'm responsible for the rest of my family. I'm supposed to husband my wife and father my kids and do things right. Make good choices. Are you with me? He deals with me so many. If you get tired of God dealing with you, then you just soon go ahead and give up because he ain't going to quit. I've just settled that in my life. If God's going to move in my family, he's coming through me. My wife hears from God. She gets to spend time with Jesus and love Jesus. And, oh, I got a word from God. And dance around the house, sing praise songs. And, and I'm over here. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> I'm joking. Starts, that's where that song, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. That's where it comes from. It comes from a man. He just learned how to take it. Yes, Lord. Okay, Lord. All right, Lord. But they had a choice to make. 
You ever ask the question, God, why would you even put that tree in the garden? I'm like, if you don't want me to eat from the tree, don't put it in front of me. It's like telling me not to eat bluebell and stacking the freezer full of bluebell and leaving the spoons on the counter. It's like, are you serious? I'm like, God, why'd you even leave the tree there? I mean, come on, just take the tree out and we don't have no problems. Right? Wouldn't that be so much easier? But you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to choose. Dang it, man. Why can't you just make it easy? Don't give me a choice. You ever go to those restaurants and they got 10,000 things on the menu and you're like, come on. 20 different types of steak. You're like, what happened to just a ribeye? He gives us a choice because he wants us to choose. Deuteronomy 30 says that this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have said before you life and death. I've put in front of you life and death and you have a choice to make. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? And he says, I hope that you choose life. How do you have a great marriage? You open up yourself to somebody else. You get around some folks that have a great marriage. How do you become a better Christian or closer to Jesus? You get around some folks that are close to Jesus. You press in, you make a choice to get up in the morning instead of watching ESPN to find out who lost last night. You sit down with your Bible and you read and you pray. Amen. You make a choice. You're tired of yourself. Go find you somebody that can whoop your tail in the spirit and say, hey, man, hold me accountable. That was hard. There will always be a loud mouth (laughs) to encourage you to do the wrong thing. Right? Isn't there always somebody there to encourage you to do the wrong thing? Listen, there's always a McDonald's commercial on the TV. I'll be honest, I hate McDonald's. But I see them dead-gone commercials so much that when I go to eat lunch, I go to McDonald's. There's always somebody loud and proud to say, no, don't worry about that. Do it this way. But let me tell you something. There's also the Holy Spirit who's always there. And he's not loud mouth. But you know what he wants you to do? He wants you just to listen. If you listen for the Holy Spirit, he is always there to help you make the right choice. He's never absent. He doesn't take a day off. If you'll listen. I go, well, God, why couldn't the Holy Spirit be the loud mouth and everybody else be quiet? That'd be so much easier. Well, why didn't you take the tree out the garden? Same reason. He wants me to choose to listen to the Holy Spirit. Right? Because he wants me to want him. Are you with me? You getting something so far? So let me give you three different ways to make choices. Or three different types of choices. Number one. You can choose to change by doing more or by receiving what has been done. How many of you ever been in a church service or in a a 
conference or anything like that. And you hear this incredible message and man, it moves your heart and you go, whoo, that was good. Dear goodness. But you're sitting there listening. What you ever had these thoughts? Well, I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to act better. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to eat less bluebell so I can look like that preacher up there. I need to do this, right? I need to give me a pair of boots like that. You ever been, you ever done that? Were you sitting in something? You kind of go, well, I just, I just need to do more. Can I tell you doing more is external? I have killed myself trying to do more. Instead of receiving what has already been done. That's the choice. Do I choose to do more and burn out again and continue on this vicious cycle? Or do I choose to receive what's already been done? Everything that we need has already been taken care of on the cross. Everything that we need has already been done on the cross. Everything that we will ever have to do has been done on the cross. Doing more is like getting your lawnmower stuck and sitting there and going forward and reverse trying to get out. Right? What happens? You sink it to the axles. Or your Chevrolet truck. I mean, it's horrible in the mud. You go back and forth, back and forth. What happens? Before you know you got so stuck, you got to go get a big old John Deere tractor to pull you out. I've done that. Just this week, I, I thought I was going to, instead of weed eating, I was going to cut a ditch. It looked like it was dry. I'm going to bail my lawnmower off in this ditch. And I go spin on it. I went, oh, dang. And I was tempted to go to do more. I'll, I'll get it out. And I'd have sunk it. Instead, I stopped. Calmed down. Got my Ford. Backed it up. Put the strap on it. And gently pulled it out. And then I went on finishing cutting grass. Are you with me? Sometimes doing more gets you more stuck. Right? The only way to get out of stale air is not by doing more. It's by receiving what has already been done. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? What does that mean to receive what has already been done? It means just to receive it. Receive what? What are you, what are you talking about? I'm glad we're having this conversation. What, what are we talking about? It's receiving his love. Just receive his forgiveness. You can't do more to earn forgiveness. You can't do more to receive his love. He's made up his mind about you and he's waiting on you to make up your mind about him. He loves you as much as he could ever love you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. By being a good little Christian. By changing the external. It doesn't make God love me more. I don't quite understand. How do I have a great marriage? What do you mean just receive what's already been done? He's given you the ability to change. He's given you forgiveness. Has he? He's given you humility. He's given you love. He's given you the Holy Spirit as the helper. Just receive what has already been done. Amen? And change what needs to be changed. This is a big one. He's given us the right to be in a relationship with him. A right to speak to him and to listen to him. The right to have a conversation with Jesus. Not some fake thing where you say, oh, I heard something. 
You heard the TV in the other room. But the right to be in a real relationship with Jesus, he's given you that right. You no longer have to go through a pastor or a priest to have a relationship with Jesus. Why is my voice getting so high? What's going on? Dang. I ain't even going to ask what you said. <laughs> you can tell me after church, though, I want to know. <laughs> okay. John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40 says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Booyah. I'll get you some of that. You think that by doing all these things, you're going to receive me. And he says, no, I just want you to know me. Do you need to read your Bible? Heck yeah, every day. Do you need to pray? Yes. Do you need to get to know him? Absolutely. It's vital. The whole reason the scriptures were written is so that you could read about him and then get to know him. How do you get to know him? By making good choices. Amen? By choosing not to be selfish in your marriage. Choosing to lay your life down and wash your wife with your words. Instead of dealing with her external. You get to see Jesus change a woman right before your eyes. My wife, let me tell you something. Cheryl is who she is because of what I've breathed on her because of what I've spoken. And she'll testify to this. Something shifted a couple years ago and I realized, and I, I began to see her, how God sees her because before I was almost abusing her. I would deal with the things I didn't like. I don't like that. I don't like, why you do this? Why you do that? Got me nowheres. Then God said, you're going to start husbanding her. You're going to start washing her with your words because when you wash her with your words, you change her. Right? Because he deals with me to change my family. Now, she's got her responsibility in her relationship with Jesus. But it's on me. What am I saying to her? Am I encouraging her? Am I breathing life into her? We have a relationship now where she calls me when she can't put things together in her mind. And she goes, baby, I just need you to put this together. And a lot of times it's not what she wants to hear, but she goes, okay. You're right. I'm like, baby, you can do this. You got this. I love my wife differently. I always wanted her to change just like she always wanted me to change. But when I stopped dealing with the external and I went to the heart and I got to the internal And I washed her with my words and I began to breathe life over her. And sometimes I have to correct her. Listen, I don't like that. Wasn't you correcting your wife? There ain't no intimacy. A corrected woman until she gets the correction doesn't want to be next to you in the bed. I don't like the chance that can I just be real? I want love, peace, and hair grease in my house. I mean, that's what I want. I don't want to ruffle the feathers. I don't want to sink the rock the boat. I don't want to do those things. But to have a great marriage, I got to do them. I want a fresh marriage. 
I want fresh air in my marriage. I want to see my life, my wife continue to change and us to continue to change and to get closer. I'm more in love with her today than I've ever been. She is my very best friend in the whole world. Hands down. That's not just a preachy statement. She is really my best friend. She can make me laugh better than anybody else can. I can frustrate her more than anybody else can. We were on the way to church this morning. I was kind of in one of those mully grub kind of moods. I'm thinking, man, I got this word. I got to go share this word this morning. And this little upbeat song came on the radio and I just busted out my shell. I'm dancing in the car. I'm doing this. And, and the kids are like, and Shell looks at me and goes, what happened to you? I'm like, come on, let's get it. If y'all see this coming down 13, the van was doing this. I'm like, hey, man, we got to stir it up. I want to see a smile on her face. Choose to do more. Choose to receive what's been done. Number two, trying to get God's approval or receiving God's love for you. I've spent a lot of time and a lot of wasted energy trying to receive God's love. Trying to earn his love. When the whole time it was already there. Already there. Amen. I look back and go, God's a knucklehead. It's already there. I want to get God's approval when all I got to do is receive his love. You know, God already knows what you did this past week. He knows what you did. He knows your attitude. He knows what you said underneath your breath. He knows what you thought about your wife or your husband or your boss or your children or your neighbors. He knows. Pastor Zach shared a story with us this week. He's got these dogs that live behind him. These, well, he's got neighbors behind him and they have dogs. <laughs> Didn't mean to get that backwards. But the dogs bark all night. There's two dogs. They bark all night. And Pastor Zach's about had enough. I mean, you know Pastor Zach. He's not a violent man. But he was about to lose it on these dogs. So he said the other morning his neighbor had walked around and came back to his house and knocked on the door. She said, hey, did you hear some noise last night? He was like, I wanted to say I hear noise every night. He said, oh, no, what happened? Somebody broke into our yard and zip tied our dog's mouth shut and then zip tied them together. <laughs> Pastor Zach said, everything in me wanted to go, yes, Lord. He's like, you know what to do. He, he didn't do it, though. He didn't do it. He's looking for who did to give him a tip. But God already knows what you did this week. And guess what? He still loves you. He still loves the guy that zip tied those dogs mouths together. He still loves them. He knows where you failed. He knows where you, where you had victory. He knows where you struggled. He knows where you had victory. He knows where you chose the wrong way. And he knows where you chose the right way. And he still loves you. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. Romans 5, 8 says that, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what I mean by he made up his mind about you a long time ago. He's waiting on you to make up your mind about him. And receive what he has for us. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever given you something bad? Has he? Has he ever done anything mean to you? 
Hmm? Now, there's been some bad things and mean things done to you, but it wasn't from God. Right? It's not how he operates. He only has good for us. And he loves us. Number three, and the final one. <clears throat> are, you, are you choosing to obey out of duty? Are you choosing to obey out of delight? This one's hard for me. Because I'm a duty kind of man. I believe in earning it. I believe in working hard. I believe you give me something to do, I'm going to go do it, and I just want a little pat on the back. I don't even really need a paycheck. Just give me a pat on the back. I can't tell you how much time I've spent serving God out of duty. Duty. That's what I'm supposed to do. I got to do it. Here we go. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm do this. This is from building the kingdom. This is for Jesus. Out of duty. But there was no delight. When the whole time he wants me to obey him and to do what he says out of delight and not duty. Why did he give us a choice in the garden? Because he wanted us to choose life. To choose the right thing. Not to choose the wrong thing. Why does he put life and death in front of us and give us a choice? Because he wants us to want him because he is life. He is not death. God is a jealous God. He's the type of God that he's standing there and he's going, I want you to choose me. I created you with the ability to give affection, with the ability to give love, with the ability to serve, with the ability to just pour out love and joy and everything on me. And I just want to see if I can receive that from you. Are you with me? He wants you to serve him. He wants you to love him. He wants you to preach the gospel. He wants you to, to, to be a better Christian. He wants you to do all these things. Why? Because you love him, not because you have to. Because let me tell you something. You don't have to do nothing. We used to say you ain't got to do nothing but die and pay taxes. Sometimes you ain't even got to pay taxes. He wants us to serve him out of delight. He wants us to delight in him. John fourteen fifteen says this, and this is a tricky verse. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. How many of you heard that verse? Raise your hand. How many of you heard that verse? If you love me, you will, you will keep my commands, right? Some of you heard, if you love me, you will prove it to me by keeping my commands. And some of you heard, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But let me tell you something. If he wanted to put the prove it in there part, he put, put the prove it part in there. He would have wrote it in scripture and said, if you love me and you want to prove it to me, keep my commands. Right. But no, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. In other words, if you're so passionate in love with me, that my commands will become your priority. Obedience to me will be the most important thing on your list. I will be your number one. You're only one. There's not a 1.5. There's only one. Are you hearing me? If you love me, you will keep my commands. In other words, you will do it because you love me. Not because you have to. How many of you want people to love you just because they have to? I don't want that. That's fake. Don't tell me I look good if I don't look good. That's fluff. Amen. 
As a pastor, can I tell you, a lot of times I get fluff. I'll get up here and preach a message and it's a bomb. And I'm walking out, man, pastor, that was great. You lying. That wasn't great. I want to go home and hide in the closet. Look at my wife. How was it, baby? Oh, it was, it was okay. Okay. I'm going to leave you with this last verse. Fresh air principle number one. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not. Did we not prophesy in your name? Drive out demons and perform miracles. Then I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. (laughs) It's not what you do. It's who you know. Amen. The question this morning is, do you know Jesus? And if you know him, are you are you getting to know him better? Because let me tell you something, there's no end to Jesus. You can never learn everything about Jesus and just say, okay, I'm done. Right? He's always revealing himself in different ways and in new ways. Principle number one, fall in love with Jesus. How do you get fresh air? How do you get fresh breath? Fall in love with Jesus. Don't think that you've arrived. Don't walk in pride and think that you got everything together and that I'm good. I I live right. I do this. I do that. I pray. I read my Bible. I'm all good. Listen to what he said. Lord, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the will of my father? But Lord, we, we prophesied. Lord, we cast out demons, Lord, in your name. Yeah, that's all fine and dandy, but you can go ahead on and leave because you never knew me. You never knew me. Religious, legalistic Christianity will get you nowhere. It's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about the relationship. Do you know Jesus? Is Jesus the center of your marriage? Is Jesus the center of your life? Is he the center of your job? Is he the center of your family? That's the questions. Is he the center of your choices? Or do you just make choices like a wild man and run with it? And say, man, Jesus, I hope you bless this. Do you actually stop and say, Lord, got a problem? Broke. Can I get some money? I'm serious. Lord, I need some money. It's the same thing my kids do to me. Dad, I need some money. No, you don't. It's a relationship. It's a conversation. Don't over-spiritualize it. Let him be the center of your life. And you don't have to spend life in the doldrums. Where there's no wind blowing. And you're gasping for air. 
If you're here today and that's where you find yourself, listen to me. I just want you to stir something up. Do something different. Make a different choice. You're struggling in your marriage. Choose to lay your life down. Your wants, your desires, your hobbies, your your passions. Lay those things down so that you can have a great marriage. If your wife's frustrating you and there's things that you don't like about her or vice versa. Choose not to deal with the external. And say, God, help me to see her heart. Help me to see where she came from. Because let me tell you something. We all come from different backgrounds. And we don't know everything that went on in the background that our spouse or our friends or whoever it is came from. But we just want to deal with the external. We just want to deal with the issues right in hand when there's something in the heart that needs to change. I take responsibility for my wife. I take responsibility for my children. If my family is stuck in the doldrums, I take responsibility. I get us out. Amen. It's the same thing with your finances. If you get in a tight in your finances, you need to get out. What does that mean? You may need to go do something or you may need to receive something from somebody. Right? But you're going to do what it takes to get out. You're going to change something. Right? I don't want to be in the doldrums. I don't want you to be in the doldrums. Pastor Jim prophesied a couple weeks ago. He said, get ready because wrecked people are about to walk into your church. And he said, your church is going to have the reputation of resurrected marriages. He said, people are going to come from other churches and other churches are even going to say, you need to go over there because they specialize in resurrected marriages. And listen to me, that's not me. That's the spirit of God in this place. And let me tell you something, it's already started. Everywhere I've turned since that day, I've been a part of resurrecting marriages. And mine's being resurrected also. I'm not there yet. We're not perfect. We're not even close. There's more resurrection. There's more dead things that need to come to life in our marriage. If you're here this morning, you're in the doldrums and you don't know how to get out. I'll pray for you. My wife will come here and she'll pray for you. And Jennifer will come here and she'll pray for you. And Greg and Lisa will pray for you. You guys come up. Unless you need prayer for something. (laughs) Maybe pray for yourself. I don't know. I just want you to stand up with me this morning. Maybe you're here. And Jesus is not the center of your life. Maybe you're here and your marriage is a wreck. And I know I've been harping on marriages this morning, and, but I do want you to know that it does go beyond marriages. It goes into your relationships with your family. It goes into your relationships with your coworkers and your boss and the people you see at the grocery stores and 
it definitely goes into your personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're in the doldrums. I think admitting that would be the best step you ever took. And then asking somebody to pray for you would probably be one of the next steps you need to take. You say, oh, well, I can pray for myself, Pastor. I'm good. Yeah, you can. Man, it'd probably work. But it'd sure be good to step out and make a practice of opening your life up to somebody else. Amen? So as Sumeri plays and a nice little melody, I just want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, if you're here today and that's what you're... You're just, you're tired of being stuck there. I just want you to get out your seat and come forward. There's no shame. There's no, there's no condemnation. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. I have people all the time tell me deep, dark secrets in their life. And you know what it always does to me? It gives me a greater respect for them. Amen. It gives me a greater respect. It, it helps me to see them in a new light. And I say, you know what? I, 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 really, I really am blessed that you stepped out and you shared that. I know it was hard. So if that's you this morning, I'm just taking my microphone off. and Or Doug's going to shut me off. And I'm just here to pray for you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you that we don't have to stay in the doldrums. Lord, thank you that there's a way out. There's a wind coming. There's a wind coming, Lord. Thank you. A fresh wind is coming. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, Spirit blow this morning like we've never experienced before. Just blow fresh breath, fresh wind, fresh air. No reason to be ashamed, no reason to be hiding or faking or putting it off. Lord, help us today. Help us today. We just want more of you, Jesus. Just say that with me, church. Say, I want more of you, Jesus. I want more of you, Jesus. I want more of you, Jesus. Less of me and more of you, Jesus. Breathe into my life, Lord. I need some breath, Lord. I need some air. Help us, Lord. Don't miss this opportunity. Spirit of God is here this morning. He wants to touch your life. He wants to breathe new life into you. He wants to heal those wounds. Yeah, you may have to expose them and you may have to deal with them, but bless you, Lord. Fresh breath, Lord. Fresh air, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Move in our hearts right now, Father. Break the chains, break the pride, break the arrogance. Help us to not fake it anymore, Lord. But to be real, Father, help us. 
In Jesus' name.